to the Ortho Eval Pal podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 265 of the Ortho Eval Pal podcast. I'm your host, Paul Marquis, PT. Today, we're going to be talking about EMG evaluation of shoulder muscles during common activities of daily living. We're going to talk about how not all post-op shoulder protocols are created equal. We'll review an interesting study that will help fine-tune your treatment of post-op shoulder patients. We'll discuss which common activities show the highest and least activity of shoulder muscles. And we're also going to talk about the importance of making adjustments to the way you approach your protocols and so much more. But if you don't mind holding for a moment, we're going to hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by MedBridge. Harnessing the power of technology to help you advance your career and improve patient outcomes, MedBridge delivers over 2,000 evidence-based CE courses and more than 7,000 specialized patient exercises available whenever you need them from wherever you are. MedBridge goes beyond CEUs. They're leading the space. From interactive webinars led by top industry leaders to the first ever HEP patient mobile app, MedBridge has taken learning to the next level for over 200,000 PTs, OTs, ATs, SLPs, and nurses, and those they serve. For a limited time, use promo code OEP to receive $175 off your annual subscription. You go into clinic every day to practice at the top of your license and provide the best care to your patients. Yet... Four out of five orthopedists say that note-taking is interfering with patient care. Robin is here to change that. Robin provides ambient virtual scribing that's designed exclusively for orthopedics. Its Robin Assistant device ambiently captures your visits, so you can focus on patients, and Robin Virtual Scribes can deliver more complete clinical notes and codes to your EHR. Visit robin.co OEP. That's robin.co OEP to learn more. Welcome back, everyone. So I'm really excited about today's show. As most of you know, I've been at this for a long time, and I've seen hundreds of shoulder patients and followed and reviewed many different protocols along the way. And to be honest with you, it's been very frustrating. And I hear this from attendees at my live courses all the time, you know, saying, which protocol should I follow? You know, the protocols are all different. I don't know which one to go with. And if you follow a particular protocol specifically for every single patient that you see, I think you're going to get yourself in trouble. Okay, and here's an example. Like, um, I've seen protocols from taking a patient the day of shoulder rotator cuff repair and performing passive shoulder flexion to 180 degrees daily for two weeks before starting any other activity to protocols that say don't flex the arm more than 90 degrees passively for two months. It's incredible how different these protocols can be, all right? And to be honest with all of you, I use protocols as a guide, especially you know, maybe with complicated cases, maybe somebody had a latissimus transplant or something like that. And it's a little unusual. It's not the common, you know, diagnosis of, you know, just a simple rotator cuff repair. Um, there are just too many factors involved in order to strictly follow a protocol. You know, there's surgical technique. There's tissue integrity. Some people are a little younger than others. Uh, and that, t- that tissue integrity might be a little bit better. Was it acute? Was it chronic? How severe was the tear? Did it involve one, two, three, all four of the rotator cuff muscles? You know, are there underlying conditions with the patient? 
patient compliance is huge. If patients aren't listening, they can very easily cause, you know, injury, a re-injury to these repaired rotator cuffs. And then, you know, the length of time from when the patient was injured can make a huge difference. So doing a repair two weeks after an injury is much different than doing it a year after injury. Uh, so there are so many different variables here that we need to take a look at. Uh, here's another example. I just recently received a referral from the same physician for a three-day post-op evaluation of a patient after a reverse total shoulder replacement. This was with two patients, two different patients. They both have exactly the same protocol. But when I reviewed the operative note, one had a subscapularis repair and the other one was irreparable, so they did not repair it. So that's going to change my post-op view on this patient and the way I manage this because there's one patient with the um, the non-repaired subscapularis that I'm going to push into external rotation probably a little bit sooner and a little bit more aggressively than the one that had it repaired. Um, and then educating that patient on why they may have some inability to internally rotate the arm afterwards for a long period of time, or maybe even permanently, um, you know, giving that expectation so they understand, you know, what to expect down the road is very important. So that's a, a classic example of, you know, getting the same protocol for two different types of uh, outcomes in regards to surgery. So a lot of my modifications go according to the op note. I, I get that, that operative note every single time I see a rotator cuff, just so I can see the specifics of what was repaired and what wasn't repaired. Oftentimes, I will go with my experience. Um, I have just seen so many of them. I know who will do well with certain types of stretches and strengthening exercises. Um, and now I want to talk a little bit about the shoulders that may get too much strain after shoulder surgery and um, with certain post-op rehab exercises and with everyday activity. So there was this great article done in uh, JOSPT led by Dr. Burke Gurney et al. And they took shoulder EMG measurements of volunteers without shoulder injuries. Now you need to remember this is with a group of people and subjects without shoulder injuries and asked them to perform certain ADLs and, um, you know, routine rehab exercises that a lot of us do after um, a, a rotator cuff repair. And so they used indwelling fine wire EMG into the four rotator cuff muscles, um, which is very specific and, and really um, isolates that better. And then they used the surface EMG electrodes over the deltoids, biceps, and upper traps, which are muscles that are, you know, really well exposed and uh, can pick up that activity really well with a surface EMG. And some of the activities that they had to perform were active assistive range of motion with pulleys, both in the sagittal plane and the plane of the scapula. And that was an interesting finding we'll talk about in a little bit. They had people don and doff uh, a button-up shirt and were given very specific instructions on what they should and should not do, just like if they had a rotator cuff repair. Um, they were instructed in pendulums. They donned and doffed a sling, which is something they have to do after surgery. Also went through some active uh, assisted range of motion into flexion in the sagittal plane and passive range of motion by a therapist in flexion. Um, and then they also measured the activity of the rotator cuff musculature and surrounding shoulder muscles while ambulating um, without a sling on. And the results were quite interesting. So if we look at these activities 
and which activities caused the least amount of EMG activity in the rotator cuff. Um, it was number one, pendulums. So those will tell us that they're safe to do as long as you do them with good technique. Now, you need to remember this study was done with normal subjects who had not had shoulder surgery. Some of them were therapy students or therapists, and so they're quite familiar with how to do these correctly. Um, so instruction on proper pendulums and how to do them the right way can be helpful. But if they're not doing them correctly and they're doing it with active, they're actively flexing and extending the arm or maybe uh, stirring the, the, you know, the soup and they're using that, the, the rotator cuff, they're going to be activating too much. Okay. So really teaching them how to do that appropriately is important, but can be very beneficial in maintaining some range of motion, getting some early activation and movement um, so that they can feel more comfortable with movement of the shoulder. Um, Passive range of motion by the therapist uh, also demonstrated very low EMG activity. And that's important because um, we need to get these people moving early so they don't develop an adhesive capsulitis or other stiffening of the surrounding soft tissues. I think the way that you talk to your patient, the way that you hold on to them when you're stretching them is important to get them to really relax those muscles so they're not activating them. Um, and then... See, self-range of motion using a dowel, so like passive external rotation or active assistive pec press um, and shoulder flexion really showed low EMG activity by utilizing the other arm um, a lot to help out with those motions. Now, some of the activities that caused a significant increase in rotator cuff activation, and you'll find this quite interesting, were using pulleys, so active assistive pulley use and it was even higher activation of the rotator cuff when they were performed in the plane of the scapula compared to when they performed it in the sagittal plane. So we may not want to start patients on overhead pulleys right away after surgery. We may want to give them a little bit of time and maybe perform some of these activities passively uh, as a therapist so that we're not overactivating that rotator cuff that's been repaired. The next that caused uh, the next activity that caused a significant amount of um, rotator cuff activation was donning and doffing of a shirt and a sling. Um, that was uh, impressively high, and so proper education on how to do that afterwards is going to be very important. And I think if a person, a patient who is having a rotator cuff repaired can learn how to do this before surgery they'll be much more successful afterwards if they have a family member uh, that can come in with them so we can teach them how to don and doff a shirt and a sling better and have somebody else help them that can also help decrease the activation of that rotator cuff and decrease the, the risk of re-agitation or re-injury to the repaired cuff and then Interestingly enough, also ambulation without a sling significantly increased supraspinatus and infraspinatus activation. And, you know, at first I thought, well, this is not a big deal. But, you know, when I walk with patients after I've taken them out of their sling, maybe we're a week to two weeks out after surgery and, and maybe we're walking from one area to another. I walk next to them. I keep that elbow at 90 degrees. I put my arm under theirs and I support them just like if they were walking with a sling. If we are going um, to do an activity somewhere. And so I kind of support them a little bit longer uh, than usual, only because remember that humeral head is trying to fall out of that inherently 
you know, unstable joint and um, it's wanting to fall out. And so the rotator cuff is working to activate and hold the ball in the socket. And so it's really uh, turning on quite a bit, especially with the supraspinatus and infraspinatus. Um, so remember that this study was performed on normal subjects without injured shoulders. Uh, the movement patterns in people who have had shoulder injuries or who have just had shoulder surgery, um, those muscle activation patterns are going to be a little bit different. But I think some of the key points you need to remember today is that you know, not all protocols are created equal, okay? Every time I get a patient from a different doctor, the protocol is different, okay? So take these protocols with a grain of salt. They are just there as a guide. Add a review of the operative note to the protocol, and that will make that will guide you better in regards to how you treat that patient, okay? Understand which muscles were repaired. Think about selective tissue tension testing, okay? If you put a muscle on stretch, if you make it contract, which one is going to be activating? Um, which one could pull on the repair and cause some trouble? And so think about that. I always get an operative report. If you can have access to it, great. Try to get that um, because oftentimes we don't get a diagnosis that says um, partial infraspinatus, full thickness supraspinatus, or full thickness subscapularis. We get you know rotator cuff repair post follow protocol. And uh, to me, that's not specific enough. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of picky that way. And I think you should be too, because rotator cuffs after surgery are so easy to re-injure. And uh, we need to be cautious. We need to um, not only be cautious, but we need to make sure that we progress quick enough so that they don't develop uh, secondary problems like adhesive capsulitis or stiffness in the shoulder. Um, so know which tissues were repaired. Know your anatomy, all right? And then patient education is huge here, Okay teaching them how to don and off a sling in a shirt and um, getting a you know family member to help out uh, can be huge uh, so that we don't re-agitate that rotator cuff. We want this thing to rest. You're in a sling with a bumper for a reason so that that rotator cuff can be on slack. You know, getting good sling fitting is very important, making sure they have that done. Um, so I hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, I hope you can take some of these tidbits of information, apply them to your patients who have had shoulder surgery um, soon after. Feel free to send me your questions. And um, for those of you who have been listening to the Ortho Valpal podcast week to week, what I'm going to do is um, if you happen to purchase one of our webinars online on uh, oep.com, I will give you a free ebook along with that. Um, but that's only going to last till December 1st, 2022. And, um, you know, those of you who listen to us on a regular basis, hopefully you can uh, take advantage of that. And if you have any questions, send them to me. Again, thank you so much for listening. Be kind to each other and take care. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there. 